You are listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I am your host, Peter Horgan. On this podcast, I'll be chatting with folks who care deeply about the climbing environment to discuss the advocacy work that's happening beyond the crag. My aim is to connect more climbers to the important work that these advocates are doing day in and day out. From the small local crags, to the nation's iconic landscapes, and to the offices of our nation's capital, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. Since 1991, Access Fund has been keeping the crags, boulders, and alpine environments around the country conserved and cared for. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. Howdy, everyone. Welcome to the latest installment of the Climbing Advocate Podcast, episode number 22. This is part two of my conversation with Access Fund's conservation teams, and today's conversation was with the East team. And as you probably guess, they cover the eastern region of the country. And I want to come right out and say it. I apologize for the delay on this one. I know what you're thinking. I said last week that, or I said on the last episode that I have it out last week. And I think I'm pretty justified for having it out just a little bit late. I actually got married last weekend. So my plate was a little full last week leading up to the big day. So that's why I had to maybe put this one on the back burner for a little bit and get it out to you all this week. But it's a good one, I promise, and I'll find some way to make it up to you all (laughs) somewhere down the road. But for now, this is uh, the East team, Annie and Matt, and I hope hope the time between the last episode and this episode gave you some time to soak in what the national team had to say before we dive into the East team here. There was some overlap in the questions between the national team and the East team, but I thought it was good to get some thoughts from both teams on the same topics and questions. Although we do run through some different topics, we run through things including their current work at Cathedral Ledge in New Hampshire, what the stewardship process looks like for getting a project underway, what volunteers can expect when they show up for a stewardship day, and how, they, how you can get one of the conservation teams to come to your area if you, need to, if you need it, and much more. I walked away learning quite a few things from this episode, and actually proved some of my assumptions wrong, which you hear a little bit more about here in a little bit. One thing I thought that was really cool about Annie and Matt's story is that they actually did not start off as climbers when they got into conservation work. They worked for a conservation corps in North Carolina first, and then thought it would be cool to apply their skills to climbing areas. And thus they joined Access Fund's conservation team. And since then they have grown to love the sport, they're climbers themselves, and now we have two more advocates that are on our side, which is awesome. And they kind of broke the mold or the cliche story of being a climber first and then growing into an advocate from there, which we hear on the show you know, so often. Rather, they started off as advocates of the land and then became climbers afterwards. I thought that was a really cool part of their story. So, with that being said, let's get dive into part two of my conversation with Access Fund's conservation team. Enjoy. All right. Well, I loved how you mentioned that you're set up in Mike's front yard, Mike Morin's front yard. Yep, we're sitting on the <laughs> side of his house. Nice. Is he there right now? He is inside. I'm not sure what he he's just, up to. He just went in. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very generous, generous of him. I, uh, I had him on, geez, I think maybe episode 10 or something. Had him uh-huh. on a little while back. Yeah, he was a great guest. So how was your guys' field work? How was your guys' day today? It was, uh, it was a long day. <laughs> 
we got up, let's say about five o'clock this morning, um, had a, about a 40 minute commute to work. And then we're working at a place in New Hampshire called Cathedral Ledge, major climbing area out here. It's a really cool place. Um, we're working at the base of thin air, just doing, there's been a lot of work done there in the past, a lot of staircases, um, and retaining walls in sections. And so we're there now trying to kind of tie it all together and adding more staircases, removing old timbers that were used as retainers and putting in stone retaining structures. And it's, you know, a day in the life of stacking rocks. <laughs> some rocks work, some work, some rocks don't most, work at all. <laughs> most don't. <laughs> yeah, they're not perfectly shaped in, you know, a square shape. <laughs> right no or they look like a square and then you set it down and it wobbles on some tiny little crystal or something <laughs> <laughs> awesome cathedral edge cool yeah i uh since you're at mike's house you obviously had to be in new hampshire so before we dive uh into your work and what you've done so far this season i'd like to have you guys introduce yourselves a little bit and give us a little background on where you're from and a little bit of your climbing history and what brought you into this position on Access Fund's conservation team? So Annie, why don't you get us started? Yeah, I'm Annie. Um, I'm originally from Kansas. I went to, I lived in Kansas my whole life, went to university in Nebraska um, and decided after college I wanted to be out in the mountains. And so I moved to North Carolina and joined a conservation corps based out of Asheville um, and worked there the rest of the year post-college. Um, and that was where Matt and I met. And after our time there, we decided we loved conservation work. We were really passionate about it. We, you know, enjoyed being outdoors and we wanted to continue doing that just in a different aspect rather than being in a conservation core. We came across the access fund job and we we're like, that's kind of perfect. You know, we get to live in a Jeep and travel and do conservation work. And so that, you know, that was how we met and how we got into this. Well, Kansas and Nebraska aren't uh, quite known for its extensive rock climbing <laughs> opportunities. Is that something you came across? <laughs> Not yeah. at all. I'm from the Midwest as well, so I, I totally get it. Uh, is, is, was climbing something you discovered when you moved out east to North Carolina? <laughs> it's funny. This is the same story for both of us, really. We had no really no prior experience climbing before we got the access fund job. I think we'd both climbed once in a gym really? um, previously. Wow. And so that was, <laughs> that was definitely an awkward point for us <laughs> when we were doing the interview process with Ty, we were like, you know, he's like, so you guys are climbers, right? And we're like, no, <laughs> yeah, we, <laughs> we were don't like, really know anything about climbing, but yeah, we, we were know. like, is that a make or break? <laughs> and you're we like, well, I mean, we're, we kind of want to do the whole conservation stewardship part. And he was like, no, that's great. Like, that's awesome that, you know, don't have to worry about you cutting out of, out of work early and, and exactly. Out, yeah, you know, exactly. so um, <laughs> just to go back a little bit, um, I'm Matt. I was originally born in Michigan, um, another relatively flat place. Uh, the lower peninsula, uh, studied environmental science in college. And I decided that after I had graduated that I didn't really want to be uh, a water sample tester or a soil sample guy. And I thought, um, I wanted to work on my hands and there 
aren't a bunch of national parks in Michigan either. So I was like, well, this is a great opportunity for me. I'll join a conservation corps. I'll, I'll go to North Carolina and I'll get to travel all along the East Coast or whatever and uh, build some experience that way. So I joined the Corps. I did six months, uh, became a crew leader. And then two months after me being a crew leader, I met Annie. And, and here we are. Here you are. So Annie, you mentioned that, you know, you're working with the Conservation Corps and you wanted to kind of segue out of that, if that's the right word, into the Access Fund work. Uh, am, I, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, we, you know, Conservation Corps life is communal living and being with a bunch of people, you know, younger, older, our age, um, just like living with a bunch of people in one house. And it's really cool. It's a great way to get to know people from all sorts of backgrounds from all over the country. It was really cool to be on different projects with different people. But we were both kind of kind of ready to do something a little more on our own, where we had a bit more ownership of the work that was going on. Um, instead of being on a project for a couple weeks, instead of the entire project of, you know, a few months. Now we get to be, these are our projects now with the Access Fund. And, you know, we have ownership of them and can really make them our own, you know? Yeah, there's something very gratifying with that. And, and you can walk away feeling very satisfied, 100%. It, the work itself, is the work itself differed much from the Conservation Corps to now this conservation team? We definitely got a strong foundation in conservation work through the core, um, learning the the fundamentals of trail work and and rock work and building staircases and retaining walls. We were in totally different settings. Um, one place I worked was in Great Smoky Mountains National Park, um, where you know the most visited national park in the country, and so the trails are built to a very specific standard to accommodate the amount of people and the diversity of people that go to the park. Whereas with this, with the access fund, we're working solely at climbing areas and we got to get a little more creative with some of the stuff that we do. Um, Not quite building everything to national park service standards. Like every, every stair on the staircase has to be, you know, eight inches tall. Sometimes we got to work around that at climbing areas Climbers don't really care about the hike. They care about getting to the wall. And so, however, we can make that easiest for them as well as keeping everything sustainable and protecting the environment around it goes. That works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we'll, we'll jump into that, I think, a little bit more here in a bit. So I want to put, in, put a pit in that and uh, talk about your current project. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said you're at Cathedral Ledge in New Hampshire. How long is this project slated for? It's about 11 weeks. Wow. We got here, yeah, we got here beginning of July and we'll be here through the beginning of October. So I'm guessing this is one of your bigger projects of the season. This is probably the biggest project of the season for us. We have, we're working with the White Mountain Trail Collective. Um, They're an organization that puts together big projects like this. So we are one of the crews that is coming in to work on this and while we're here, we'll be working with three other crews from surrounding areas, New Hampshire and Vermont, I, I believe. Um, so we're pulling together a lot of people to make this happen. Wow. Yeah. Well, we'll jump into some, into some more volunteer talk towards the end as well. Do you have any other major projects after the after Rumney project or have you? what was some of the other things you've been working on before you came here? 
or sorry, did I say well, Romney Cathedral? Excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was last year. Romney was our big project okay, last year. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, this year we were supposed to be at the New River Gorge in West Virginia um, for seven weeks prior to this. And then we're going back after we leave here in October. We'll be there for the rest of the season, October and November. Mm-hmm. Um, but with COVID, the first part of the project got canceled the first seven weeks. So it's been it's been a weird year due to COVID, but that will be our next like big project working at Bridge Buttress in at the new um this fall well that's awesome i'm glad we mentioned rumney a little bit because we uh mike when mike was on the on the show uh, a handful of episodes back we talked about the rumney the restore rumney campaign and and all the funding that would needed to be raised to get this project going and underway do you do you have any uh knowledge about how that campaign went and how all that came together to uh provide you guys an opportunity to work on everything that needed to be done at Rumnick's I know is in kind of rough shape. Yeah. Um, I think we kind of went into the project to get it started and try and get people excited about it and see the work that we were doing out there and help build the fundraising. Um, and as, as of now, it's still an ongoing project. Um, we might be back, Access Fund might be back to work at Rumney within the next couple of years just trying i think right now it's just a matter of of raising those funds um and it's once again a weird a weird time to try and do a big fundraiser like that for rumney with with covid and and people's job situations and everything so yeah it's it's an ongoing it's a work in progress so being out east i mean you're traveling all along the coast i'm pretty sure you guys have made it down to alabama too it's my understanding mm-hmm. um yeah, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a large region to cover i mean you are the east teams so you're all over the place and my impression of the east is it can be a little extra rainy uh yep, yep. it's a wetter <laughs> climate overall um are there common issues that are observed that you guys observe working in this region that are uh, specific or unique to a wetter wetter climate? I think with the climate out here and the the impact of human foot traffic, the erosion issues are are really bad out here because there's so much soil, you know, and vegetation. And once the vegetation is gone, the soil just gets washed away in the rain and, and with foot traffic, which leaves a lot of exposed roots. Um, and, and part of what we do when we come into a, a climbing area is try and, you know, assess, assess like the trees around the staging areas and along the trail and where the roots are really exposed and see what we can do to try and bring soil back up to the, the proper level and try and uh, keep these trees alive longer than they would be with their, you know, people walking on the roots and, and then being exposed. Mm-hmm. So I feel like we see a lot of that out east. Climbers are funny. You know, we talked about you want to provide the, the quickest access to the best access to the crag uh, for the climbers visiting the area. And oftentimes, like, you see a trail that just goes straight uphill, straight fall line. There's no switchbacks or anything. It's just, how can I get to the crag the fastest? And I mm-hmm. assume that's that's probably a ubiquitous thing across the country. And it's only exacerbated by a wetter climate. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then goalies form and then you got to try and build a trail around it or build a staircase up next to it. 
there's challenges that come with it, but I think I got your work cut out for you. I, uh, I, I did a stabilization report for my dissertation project in grad school. So I went around uh, all the trails in my area, inventoried and assessed them all, just about, just about them all. And in my, in my presentation, I had two pictures side by side, one of like a more desert environment using very natural organic uh, material and rocks from the area. On, on the left side and on the right side, there's a picture from the New River Gorge with really nice, like treated timber and uh, like riprap, mm -hmm. like inside the timbers uh -huh. and like in nice railings and stuff. I mean, it looked like a wetter climate and <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like they needed way more infrastructure to make these trails sustainable. Now, I'm sure that's not necessary everywhere but do you find yourself using a lot of natural organic material versus like the treated timbers and more just permanent structures mm -hmm. like wood and stuff yeah we try to stay away from wood as much as possible whether it be treated wood or like locust logs we um just because wood doesn't last forever and eventually has to be replaced right whereas if we can work with stone and build a staircase or a wall out of stone we're hoping to get, you know, 50 to 100 years out of this, um, whereas wood would be maybe 20 to 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, but we have used locust logs in the past um, in North Carolina. We were working on a project, putting in a, a brand new climber access trail and there was no rock. So we used locust logs and build, built wooden staircases and they're great. And locust logs will last a lot longer than a lot of other trees so we try and stay away from it when possible but if we have to use it we try and make it something that'll last at least at least 20 years that's, that's still a fair amount of time uh compared to like mm -hmm. i mean the 50 to 100 or whatever you said for for the for the stone of course but what what is a locust log never heard of that yeah uh locust trees are just super super hard dense wood that take forever to decay kind of so we try and find standing dead locust to to cut down and use as as steps or whatever we're building mm -hmm. um, just because it's a really durable material to work with when you're using organic stuff okay right on do you guys uh so you're at cathedrals so you're at more of a a, a roped climbing area have you done any bouldering areas yeah. we have our big project, our first like long-term project of this year and last year has been at Moss Rock Preserve outside of Birmingham, Alabama, um, which is a, it's a really cool climbing area right kind of in the center of this little, of this city called Hoover, just outside of Birmingham. Um, just a little park kind of nestled, nestled amongst some neighborhoods. And we also worked in, uh, a little newer bouldering area in Chattanooga called Old Wahatchee. Mm -hmm, the Old Wahatchee boulders, they're mm -hmm. like a five-minute drive from downtown. They're really accessible. Um, the, the Conservancy, the Lookout Mountain Conservancy, owns that property, and they've been trying to make it accessible and make it really sustainable by adding a bunch of bike trails and hiking trails, as well as they've you know, with that together with the access fund a few years ago, started building retaining walls around all of the boulders. So they would have nice flat uh, staging areas. So 
so it's it's cool you you know you walk through this little park and walk up to a boulder and there's a little sign that says what the boulder's name is and they have these nice little walls built around them it's cool so i i have a kind of like this anecdotal thought so you're at cathedral ledge you're at like a yeah, roped climbing area sport trad and then you've done some work at bouldering areas in alabama and tennessee i feel like like i said it's just kind of an anecdotal thought on my end but do you see staging staging areas being more impacted at bouldering areas just because you're this you're spreading out the crash pads and stuff compared to a roped climbing area does that make sense uh, it makes sense but i don't know i think from our personal years, um, it seems like the harder hit areas are the the roped the roped uh, climbing areas. Really, and that might just be related to uh, lack of work or something like like you know it's been put off for a while or waiting for funds to get there for work to be done. So basically, I feel like like Rumney is a prime example. It, it just gets hammered weekends or there, there's people everywhere there's groups you know there's there's dogs there's hammocks and uh so in my personal experience i feel like the climbing areas that we've went to have been worse where there are ropes than than bouldering but i can't say that for any so what do you think i think i think yes and no i think um you know, like Matt talked about Rumney and what we see at Cathedral Ledge, just, you know, these accessible places that people go to on the weekends. There's, you know, youth climbing teams coming to, to climb outside. There's guided groups coming out. Um, I think, I feel like, yeah, we see, we see a lot of impact at, at roped climbing areas, but the same can be said for, for bouldering areas. Um, a lot of the bouldering areas that we've gone to have already had, uh, structures Mm -hmm. put in place. So we didn't really get to see, you know, before and after, uh, like the really bad impact. Whereas at Rumney, for example, we got to see what it looked like before and do, do everything and make it sustainable and look totally different than it was when we got there. Yeah, I guess that I guess that make that does make sense. Uh, just but yeah, like you mentioned with guided groups uh, or, or church groups or, or youth groups or something like they're not probably not going to go bouldering. Probably going to go set up some easy top rope somewhere and yeah. have their stuff spread out in those damn hammocks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You want to like you said, you want to like you know you're trying to save those trees and and everything and like the yeah the hammocks. I'm sure does not help your situation. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I want to get into the the nuts and bolts a little bit on on the process of of how the stewardship stuff actually works, because these projects don't just spring up out of nowhere. There's a lot of communication and coordinating and fundraising and planning, design work, environmental reviews, and so on and so forth before you can actually put shovels in the ground, right? So, <laughs> yeah. do you guys have uh, a, a big role in like that back end stuff, uh, like the, the a lot of the communication and coordinating? prior to you guys going out, actually putting shovels in the ground. Could you walk us through that process a little bit? Luckily our boss, Ty does, he's great at that and does most of the communications and planning and things with the land managers beforehand. Mm -hmm. So basically when we start the year in February, Ty's got the whole calendar planned out for us. And so we just go, go where we need to be 
um, according to what the calendar says. He'll send an email out a week before tying us in to whoever the project manager yep. is. And that's kind of where and then we're like, hey, all right, so where should we camp? When do you want to meet? Can we come a day early before the project starts and check out the site and kind of see what we're working with? And Yeah, so big, big projects like this have a ton of planning beforehand. Um, we uh, like Mike has is a huge part of this project and um, they figured out you know everything that we were going to be doing where we were going to be working where we're going to be camping all of that stuff was figured out beforehand whereas smaller projects that we do during our travels we have a little bit more of the of the say in some of the planning aspects like what exactly we're going to do um at the climbing area uh you know we sometimes on these smaller projects we can go in and make the assessment and talk to the local climbing organization and and give them tips and um, kind of guide them through what we think needs to be done at the site. So we get a little bit of it on smaller projects, um, but the big projects are well planned out for us. So how about working with, with volunteers then? So you got all this uh, back-end stuff. <laughs> um, is it... Is it on you guys to start coordinating with volunteers or do you leave it up to the LCO? What's your role in that part? We, um, Jenna, depends, Jenna. depends on the, on the project. The LCO oftentimes gets together a weekend event or, you know, multiple day events to get volunteers out because they have the access to the, to communication to all the climbers in the area, be it through social media and email and all that stuff. So we really love it when the LCO does step up and um, bring out bring out volunteers mm-hmm. for us. Are, are you then like coordinating uh, what the volunteers do then throughout the day? Yeah. yeah. So we usually plan out the volunteer day um, and volunteers come in and, you know, whether it's building trail or doing a little bit of rock work or just moving material. We love having volunteers. <laughs> Uh, super helpful to us. Because I mean, these these projects can't get done just the two of you. I mean, right. you know, I don't want to uh, underestimate the power of the, of this duo I'm talking to here. But, uh, <laughs> as I know, you both crush on the work that you do, but you do, yeah, heavily rely on the helping hands of volunteers to complete these stewardship projects. Yeah, we couldn't do what we do without the help of volunteers, and it's really important to have the climbing community come out and take ownership of their climbing area and put the time and the effort and the blood, sweat and tears <laughs> into the project so that they have a deeper connection with, with the place. Um, everyone that comes out feels super great about it. We always have a good time. Uh, it's cool to see what volunteering, how that um, kind of changes it can change uh, the views on the climbing area and just like it's really cool to see the climbers take ownership of of their favorite crags yeah it's amazing yeah participating uh in in this part of climbing is you know it's so deeply important to get to get all this work done and not just be a climber but be an advocate you know i've I've said that a million times on the show but i I don't think i could wear that saying out uh, at all what can people expect if they do come volunteer on a project? What is a what does a day in the life look like at a stewardship project? Depends on where we are. <laughs> yeah, 
depends on how much it's raining. <laughs> um, if if we're doing a trail project, we get people get a tool in everyone's hands and give them a quick run through on how to use it and how to bench cut a trail and we kind of let them go at it. And, you know, those are, those are great projects to get a bunch of people working on when you need to do, you know, a mile of new trail or a half a mile of new trail and everyone's involved digging in the dirt. They get to see the end prog, the end uh, result. That's really cool. Sometimes when we're working, you know, like when we were in Rumney last year, we were building a staircase and it's hard to have a bunch of people working on a staircase. It's really two to three people. So we used our volunteers a lot last year to, to move material that we needed. We were working with huge, heavy stones that would break our backs to move all of them in a three month period, you know? So when we had volunteers who were strong and excited, it was great to have them just move material for us. And then, you know, if, if the day went really well, we'd get into some rock work and teach, teach people the basics of building a staircase or building a retaining wall. We love to, we love to give people the tools to come back to their climbing area later on um, with their LCO and, and do the trail work and do it, do it well. I think that's a really important point that you don't just show up and show like just just show them how you're how you're doing it, but you're actually teaching them how to do it so they can come back at a different time. I think that's a, a really important aspect of what you guys do. Right, because we'll only be we like to say this a lot. We'll only be at this climbing area for three weeks or three months, but you as climbers will be here for as long as you live here. You know, this is your place. We want you to be able to. To, you know work here and take ownership ownership of it um so really at the end of the day we're just helping you know how to make your climbing area better yeah it's 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 many teaching moments i'm sure you mentioned that the new river gorge project was canceled i mean that's seven weeks of work that's so much work that could get done that couldn't get done because of this pandemic nonsense that we got that we got to grapple with this year mm-hmm. and possibly in the next year who knows right so mm-hmm. in addition to just this project being canceled how are you how are you navigating this now working on this cathedral ledge project with volunteers coming in with you two working together like uh, what's what's going on behind the scenes with that so for this project we're actually not having volunteers because this project was put together by the White Mountain Trail Collective. Um, and so they've hired other crews from Conservation Corps. We're working right now with a, a crew from the Appalachian Mountain Club. Um, so we're just working with hired crews right now. Um, but in previous projects um, prior to this, we, we did have volunteers um, for a while, it was maybe no volunteers for a while because of COVID, and we not sh- we're not sure, you know, what all is going on really. And then we got back into having volunteers on a trail project in Boone, North Carolina, and we just had to limit the amount of people that could come out. We did a online sign up and had uh, I think six volunteers per day come out. And everyone had to be wearing gloves and at least have a mask on them. And then we 
are trying it's great on a trail project where you can space people out six feet um and just say dig in the dirt um (laughs) (laughs) so we have we have had some volunteer opportunities this year but they've definitely been very limited due to covid we have been attempting to space ourselves out so annie and i will work together like today, Annie and I work together all day today where the other crew is in the quarry or, you know, moving rocks on the, on the high line or something like that. So, and then when we do interact, we all try to mask up in some way, um, just to, you know, for, as an extra precaution. So that's, that's, you know, we, I've been, we've been wearing buffs around our necks and then when we walk up to somebody, we just pull it up over our nose just to, you know, and they'll put their dust masks on or whatever they're whatever they're actually wearing or their regular masks or something uh so there is a little bit you know and it's like oh shoot i'm going over here i gotta throw this on real quick um just to make sure that everyone's comfortable um you know and plus if we all get uh if we all get covid then we're gonna have to stop the project for a while and nobody wants that no no not at all ty mentioned that uh that you all, that you two were working in Alabama, just working away, doing your thing. And the national team was quarantined in Indian Creek mm-hmm. and they were kind of stuck there. So there's like this interesting dynamic where one team was just doing their thing and, and cranking away and the others were, yeah, had to stay put, you know, being in a gateway community like Moab, couldn't really go anywhere. Yeah. And what a, yeah, what a weird dynamic that was. As you may or may not know, but Alabama was one of the last states to really uh, start to shut things down and close things down. So it was, it was kind of, we don't get too much news while we're on the road. So it was kind of our project partner saying, well, you know, the, the mayor hasn't stopped us and, and you guys are considered construction crew and you guys are out, you know, you're outside and all this stuff. And we are like, all right, well, we'll just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Essential and, workers, right? Yeah. And so it was kind of nice because he ended up finding some more funds and allowed us to stay out there for a few more weeks because the bridge, uh, the new project got canceled. So it was really nice for him to scrape some more things up and keep us around for a couple extra weeks. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Good deal. Right on. Well, I'm sure like after all the work is done, and you know all the tools are put away and you know some beers food whatnot is uh is being consumed how do you what's the pulse that you get from people when they walk away from these events do they feel like complete and satisfied and fulfilled Uh, can you sense that at all when a project is done absolutely yeah um it's fun we we tell climbers you know if you're coming out on a volunteer day be sure and bring your climbing stuff says we'll work until you know one or two and then we want climbers to, you know, enjoy the, enjoy their crag as well. But a lot of times, by the time we're done with work, they're exhausted yeah. and tired and sore and climbing is the yeah. last thing yeah, they, they want to do. They bring their <laughs> shoes out and they have this big idea, you know, and then by 11 o'clock, they're like, you guys do this every day. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's cool for, for them to really, to put in the work and know how hard, how hard you got to work to to do this but uh they're everyone's always psyched after after a volunteer day they feel good sometimes they go climbing sometimes they just go back to camp and drink beer or whatever and (laughs) have a good time but and sometimes we go with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) there you go yeah you earned it we're always making new friends which is another big perk of this job we don't have anyone but ourselves but there's there's always there's always a friendly climber yeah we're we're pretty friendly (laughs) 
<laughs> have you guys gotten into climbing at all? Is it like does is it does it appeal to you now that you've been around it so much? Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. We we really started climbing last year when we were in Chattanooga. Okay. Um, our friend Andrea Hassler, who used to be on one of the conservation teams and is now the executive director for the uh, Southeastern Climbers uh, Southeastern Climbers Coalition. <laughs> She taught, she took us out. She's an incredible climber. She taught us how to climb cracks and do all the cool trad climbs in Chattanooga. So that was kind of really where we started climbing last year. And then, and then we did a little bit of it here and there. And then we ended the the year last year in Chattanooga again and and climbed. We were climbing, I don't know, four or five days a week at that point. The weather was great. The climbing was great. And then over the, over our winter break, we have December and January off. We were both going to the gym. Yeah, we're like, time to start home. training. <laughs> we were both going to our home gyms and climbing and getting strong and getting excited for this year. And we we're, you know, we were both ready to, to crush this year. And then, <laughs> and then COVID hit and we've climbed, I don't know, a handful of times yep. this year now because of the pandemic and the weirdness around, around all of it. Sure. So it's been, you know, it was high excitement with a bit of a setback, but it's all right. Climbing will be around. We'll be able to keep doing it Mm -hmm. and we want to keep doing it. We love it. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to hear that. I think you're, I think you two are the first folks I've talked to on the show where you're almost like advocates first and then became climbers, which is, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm usually talking to folks like, yeah, you know, I got to climbing in college and, you know, just climbing, climbing, climbing for myself. And I was having so much fun that I was like, wait a minute. Okay. There's a lot going on here to keep our areas open and cared for and whatnot. I need to get involved and then become advocates afterwards. So yeah, yeah, I think your guys' story is really cool. How you started off on the conservation crew out East and then just kind of evolved and becoming climbers from, from being part of the access fund. That's, that's really cool. It's been a really great way to get into climbing. We're surrounded by great climbers who are always excited to take us out and teach us a thing or two and get us on their favorite routes and so it's been it's been a really fun a really fun way to get into the sport. Yeah, absolutely. And I know I know Andrea fairly well. Uh yeah, we met a few years ago and have connected here and there over the years and I had her on the show as well. Uh oh, she's great. she's awesome. She's that's a great mentor to have. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I would ask like where you're off to next, but you're going to be in the same spot here for quite some <laughs> time. Um that's awesome. <laughs> so people will know where to find you and if someone feels like their climbing area could use some love, can use some good TLC, how would they go about getting you all out to their area? Yeah, I think step one would be to reach out to our boss, Ty. Pretty sure his email is ty at accessfund.org. Mm-hmm. And reach out to Ty and let him know where, what's going on. Take some photos to show. And I think just that fact of reaching out and saying, I love my climbing area and I want something to be done here. Whether it's sending out one of us or one of the regional teams to do a big project there or sending the national team to do a workshop and uh, assessing the site and and teaching the community some basic trail works stuff. That would be the first step and a great way to, to to get more info and get more involved. 
All right. Well, I'm going to blast that out far and wide. I know you guys are pretty packed and the schedule gets pretty full early on. Uh, cause I mm-hmm. talked to Ty about doing some work out of my, my area in Southwest Colorado. And, and he's like, all right, well, you gotta let me know, like, you know, plenty in plenty of advance. Cause we're, we got plenty of work going on. So <laughs> totally, yeah. there's always work to be done. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, right on. Uh, I, this was awesome. Thanks so much guys for uh, taking the time out of your evening after a, a long day to chat. I really appreciate it. And I yes. greatly appreciate the work you're doing. It's, it's backbreaking work and you guys seem really psyched on it. So I, I can't thank you enough. Well, we love it. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's been such a great job to have get to work outside and work at climbing areas all day, every day. Can't get much better than that. doesn't get much better than that indeed thank you annie for those inspiring departing words in this episode that wraps up the story of the conservation teams matt and annie from the east team and kyle and lauren from the national team are far four stoked individuals that care deeply about keeping our climbing areas looking good and providing sustainable access and i unfortunately did not get to interview the west team But let's not forget about them. There is another conservation team out there doing killer work alongside the East team and the national team. So big kudos to the West team as well. I have a tremendous appreciation for all the hard work that the conservation teams do throughout the year. Because moving around rocks is no easy feat. And as Matt said in this episode, volunteers are often astonished that they do this every day. So I tip my hat to all six of you keep keep getting at it keep crushing it and i was i want to say that getting involved with the stewardship day is probably the easiest way you can be an advocate for climbing that and and also calling representatives when need be they're both pretty too easy tasks to get involved so if you find the opportunity to do so please jump on it the conservation teams would love to have you all out there and one last thing i would like to mention it's kind of random but Last month, I needed to get rid of my vehicle. I had an old truck that just, you know, bit, bit the bullet uh, and and crapped out on me. And I needed to don I wanted to donate it. It wasn't really worth any money, and so I did a little bit of research. And you can donate your vehicle. There's an organization out there called Vehicles for Charity. It's a Denver-based nonprofit. And when you donate the vehicle, you get to choose a charity to receive funds for whatever your vehicle might be worth. And Access Fund is one of them. So I naturally, of course, chose Access Fund to donate my vehicle to, quote unquote, you know, you don't donate the vehicle itself, but when you donate the vehicle, those funds go to that organization. And in this case, it was the Access Fund and you get a tax deduction from it. So I'll link up the information in the show notes, but I just wanted to leave that quick little tidbit for everyone. It's vehiclesforcharity.org. It's super easy. You give, us, give them a call or you complete an online form. Only took me a few minutes and they, they kind of take care of it from there. They'll get someone to come pick up the car for you, and you can kind of just sit back and 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 relax, pretty much. So, I'll put up the uh, the phone number and the uh, website in the show notes for y'all to check out. So, if you have a vehicle, I would uh, definitely recommend checking it out. All right, well that's that's all I got for you this week. I got a great one lined up for this next episode. So I will catch you all again here at the end of the month. Take care. <laughs>